We will welcome everyone here this morning. Thank you for being here. If you're a visitor, there's some um, cards that you can fill out and just let us know that you, um, who you are. And uh, we'd like to get in contact with you and just uh, let you know uh, we're praying for you. Also, we want to pray for the Michigan State fans because I saw the score and I know some of you might not want to be here today, but it's good that you're here because you need God to come into your life and make you feel better about that loss. Chad Spencer. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a couple of others. But ushers, if you will, go ahead and come. Well, since we don't know where the uh, plates are, why don't we just do the, uh, we got the plates. All right, somebody took the plates away from us. And, um, and so they're up here now. All right, Pastor Dave, would you pray for the offering? Uh, <clears throat> Father in heaven, I thank you for this day you've given to us to gather together in this place of worship. I thank you for your faithfulness and your love this past week, Lord. And sometimes we, we get busy, maybe we look back on the past week and say, where did it go? But uh, Father, we want to evaluate that in terms of our relationship with you and where did we go with you. And this week, we want to go closer and deeper with you, Lord, and want to just ask again that your presence fill our lives and your love for us, Lord, that we will again offer our lives anew to you as our bodies as living sacrifices, along with a, with a tangible offering that we receive and give, Lord, we know it's our whole selves that you want, and may it be a living sacrifice to you, holy and pleasing because you make us that way, and you will enable us to serve you. To that, your honor and glory, we pray and ask your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. the chasm that lay between us how high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the
question a great rhetorical question who is like you Lord who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glory working wonders in your unfailing love you lead your people water you turned into
is your resurrection too. This is why we are to yearn for all that is above, for that's where Christ sits enthroned at the place of all power, honor, and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural <coughs> realm. Your cru crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life, and now your true life is hidden away in God, in Christ. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed, for you are now one with him in his glory. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference, or your ethnicity, education, or economic status. They matter nothing, for it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. My strength when I am weak, you are the treasure that I seek, you are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious tool, Lord, to give up, I'd be a fool, you are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb you 
If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to go through 11 to 15 today. 11 to 15. Um, so chapter 2, 11 to 15. And I know Shane's not here, but is Sam here this morning? Sam, are you here? Sam, can you stand up for me? Now, I was going to wait to do it with Shane here, but he's working. And, and, um, but if you don't know, there is a big announcement on Facebook about Sam. And uh, Sam, you want to hold that hand out? Apparently, uh, Shane gave her a promise ring. No, he gave her an engagement ring. And you, his parents are camping this weekend, so did he do it before they left, or? Oh, oh, so over there. Okay, good, good. Well, congratulations, and from the church, we all congratulate you, and looking forward to seeing miniature Sam and Shane's running around one day. Grow the children's department. That's how you do it. <clears throat> As we get in these next few verses, we're only going to go through four verses. It's not a lot. So go ahead and turn to chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. I want to share a couple stories with you as we introduce this. Because what you're going to find out in these verses is this religious organization, the Gnostics and, and the other religious groups, trying to impose some of their religious teachings on these Colossians. And so Paul is refuting some of that stuff in, in the language that he's using here, we're going to show you kind of what he's refuting and how Jesus Christ makes it all complete. How, how they're lacking nothing because of Jesus Christ's work. But if you remember the story of the tax collector and the, um, and, and the, and the Pharisee, the, the, they're up there, they're praying, and Jesus tells the story in Luke 18, how, how the Pharisee had went up there and, and, and with pride said, thank you, Jesus, that I'm all this and not like this. And the tax collector gets up there and just says, forgive me for being a sinner. Well, it's the we versus they mentality that the Pharisee had. It is we're spiritual, they're not. We're spiritual people, and to be spiritual, you have to be like us, but they are not. Dwight L. Moody, most of you have heard of him. How many of you guys know who Dwight L. Moody is? Raise your hand. He's a famous pastor, famous evangelist. There's a school down in uh, Chicago called Moody Bible Institute. He enjoyed Charles Spurgeon. He, he wanted to meet him. He desired to meet him, and so he went over to England found out where Charles Spurgeon lived at the time, who, who had the biggest church in England, and went, 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 to the, went down the stairs, went up the stairs, found his house, knocked on the door, and to his surprise, Charles Spurgeon answered the door, and as he opened the door, he had his cigar in his mouth, smoking it, and, and Dwight L. Moody fell down the steps in shock of everything. And he says, you as a man of God, how can you do that pointing up at that cigar? And and Spurgeon, he walks down the steps like this, and he goes down to Dwight L. Moody, and if you know anything about him, he rubs his rotundous belly. And he says, I can do this as a man of God, as you are a man of God can do that. You see, we like to pick and choose what we think are spiritual, what we think are the acceptable 
things that are holy, acceptable, acceptable things that are not. And, and, and we still do this today. And it was no different back then. Roy Gustafson, he was a preacher. He gave this message comparing religion and gospels, the gospel. And he says, religion is man's quest for God. The gospel is a savior God seeking lost men. Religion originates on earth. The gospel originated in heaven. Religion is man-made. The gospel is the gift of God. Religion is the story of what a sinful man tries to do for a holy God. And the gospel is the story of what a holy God has done for sinful men. Religion is good views. The gospel is good news. Religion is putting a new coat on a man. The gospel is putting a new man in the coat, transforming him completely. It is because of Jesus Christ you are made complete. There's nothing you ever have to add to the gospel message. You're complete because of that gospel message. And yet this is what Paul is facing. And so as we look at these verses, we're going to divide it up into three, three, three ways. We're going to look at verses 11 to 13, 14, and 15. And so let's read verses 11 to 13 right now. It says, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision, not done with hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving us of all our trespasses. Thank you that because of your work on the cross, I can be made complete and not ever have to worry about anything else because it's about you. And we all are in that same boat. It is all about you, Jesus, and not about us. There's nothing we can ever add to what you've done. We thank you for what you've done for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so, so this first section, I want us to look at it with this aspect. In Christ, every ceremony is completed. In Christ, Every ceremony is completed. You, you see two major ceremonies that he mentions. He mentioned circumcision, and he mentions baptism. Now, circumcision took place in the Old Testament. It happened with Abraham at first. It was God saying, I am, I am separating you out. You're going to be circumcised. And, and, and he circumcised Abraham. He had him circumcised. And it was his way of God saying, you're separated out. But as often as the case, as often as what happens, man comes in and tries to add to it. So instead of it just being 
a ceremony in a way God was separating them out. It had become a rite of passage, a this has to be done on you because you're the chosen ones of God, Israel, which they all were required to do, but it became something more than what God had intended it. And the Pharisees didn't help out, by the way. They continued adding to these laws, not just the, the circumcision, the law of circumcision, but we're talking about the law of Moses as well. They added to these laws, and, and they kept piling up, like if you were to go out on a Sabbath, wearing spikes of some sort. Oh, you're in trouble. Not only were you not allowed to work on the Sabbath, they took it to the extreme. They were trying to create, in their eyes, something more than what was needed. You, you see, the law of Moses was only there for one reason. To basically be a reflection, to show how bad we really are. To show that we are not perfect people. And that we need a perfect God. God the Father. And that we needed his son, Jesus Christ, to come to the earth. But, but the Pharisees took the law of Moses, circumcision and everything else, and added to what God had already planned. No different than what was going on here in Colossians. They were adding to it. They added to the rituals and ceremonies. And, if, and rituals and ceremonies are great, but if we look to them for part of the gospel to make us righteous, then rituals and ceremonies are bad. And it's easy to do. We can, we can, we can turn anything bad by making it a substitute for Jesus Christ. Any ritual, any ceremony that takes place, we can turn into something that is wrong by saying, well, not only do you have to be born again by Jesus Christ, but you have to be circumcised like the Jews to make it official. Or you have to be baptized on top of what the gospel message says to make it official. That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and so what happens is Paul is telling them that in Christ, the ceremony of circumcision is completed. In Christ, baptism is completed. These are only symbols of God's separation and only a symbol of what Jesus Christ did. So let's look at... Let's look at um, Baptism, for instance, in verse 12. It says in verse 12, it says that when you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, baptism is this. It is a symbol of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When we baptize people, we do it in that instance, of, of, in that order of showing Jesus died and you rose together with him in baptism. 
There's nothing magical about baptism other than this one thing. Jesus Christ did command it. He commanded when you become a believer, you need to follow in believers' baptisms. Now, is it going to make you saved or lost? No, it's not. But some people will teach, oh, you have to be baptized. No. Should you be baptized? Yes. Why should you be baptized? Because it is a picture. It is you identifying with Jesus Christ. It's like being married. Different ceremonies have different things. Some people use rings. Some people exchange other things. But it's a symbol and it's a symbolic thing that you get married, that you exchange something or you, some people get tattoos on their fingers or they exchange rings. It's a symbol. It is a picture of the commitment that you're making. Well, the baptism is a symbol. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ has done. Now, let me illustrate like this. Now, if you were to go out on a nice sunny day, like I used to do when I was a kid, and I still do sometimes, I'm kind of short, but I used to run outside and I'd raise my hands up and I'd be like 10 feet tall when I raised my hands because that shadow is casting out. Now, when I look down and I see all that shadow and I see my hand sticking up, I can see my hand. Now, is that shadow my hand? No, that shadow is not my hand. What is it? It is a likeness. It is a, a, a replication of my hand. Well, that's what baptism is. It is not the actual thing. It is a picture. It is a picture of what Jesus Christ is doing in you. It is saying, I identify with Jesus Christ because he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And I identify with Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I'm going to do the same thing. But if I add to anything past that, it becomes wrong. And that's what these Colossians were being taught. They're being taught, oh, you have to do these ceremonies. You have to be a participant in these ceremonies to make your, to be authenticated. And that's just not the case. But he's saying it is a symbol of what Jesus Christ did. It's a ceremony that Jesus Christ completed. In Romans 6, 4, it says, Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. It's a demonstration of our love and commitment to Jesus Christ. That's why we get baptized. If you're in here and you've never been baptized, you need to get baptized. You need to get baptized if you are a believer because it is your way of saying you identify with Jesus Christ. Now, now, you do it because Jesus says this is a command to obey. But you don't do it to add anything on to the work of Jesus Christ because you can't. You cannot add on to the work of what Jesus Christ did. Nothing can be added to his work on the cross. There's nothing you can do to add to it. But some people will teach that. Be weary of that. Romans 2, 25 to 29 says, Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keep the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised 
but who keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person who is not a Jew is only one outwardly, and a true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. The person's praise is not from people, but from God. We're going back to the circumcision as well. Because they're both symbols. Now, God told the Old Testament people, the Jews, he said, not just to be circumcised outwardly, but be circumcised in your heart. Be separated out to me. That's what Romans 8 is saying. You don't have to physically be circumcised. If you're separated to God, you are circumcised in your heart. The circumcision is only a demonstration that you are separated out to God. You are separated out to God in your heart. You're baptized because Jesus, what he did, and you're identifying with it. So in him, all these ceremonies are made complete. And verse 13 is about identification. He says, and when you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. It's our way of identifying with Jesus Christ. We identify with Christ. Everything that has happened to him happened to us. The death, burial, resurrection that happened to him, it happened to us in a spiritual sense when we identify with him. Death to the old self, raised to walk to the new person, the new self, the new person living. The old person is dead, the new person is alive. He has made you alive. Because only God can change you. Let's go into verse 14. So in Christ, every requirement is depleted. Every requirement is depleted. In verse 14, we see that. It says, here he raised the death certificate, the certificate of death, with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. The death certificate. That was the law. The law, of, the, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments and all those other things. That's what this is. That's what he's exactly referring to right here. When he says he erased the certificate of debt. Because that law told us who we are not. And also revealed to who we were. We are imperfect people. Incapable of doing all these things. It's just that plain and simple. All it is there is to tell us who we are. Now, there's no way we're ever going to live up to these laws. There's no way we're ever going to live out all these laws on earth and, and, and because we're not, we're, we're not, we were not complete. We're sinners. And the law didn't work. That's the whole point of it being there. It doesn't work. Jesus Christ works. Jesus Christ works. Where the law failed... Jesus came in and completed it. You see, the law cannot change you. The law of Moses cannot change you. Knowing right from wrong doesn't change you. That's all the law did is point out right and wrong. 
That doesn't change you. It takes a revelation of the heart. It takes your heart to be changed to make you different. The only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. These symbols, these ceremonies, these laws were incomplete without Jesus Christ. So he depleted the requirements. He basically took that debt that you owed based on the law, put it on himself on the cross, and they nailed it to the cross, he says. The debt that you and I owed for how we live our life day in and day out was paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. You can, you, people live their life any way they want before they come to know Jesus Christ. And they accept Jesus Christ, and all of that that they committed was paid for. Every single one of us in here right now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus paid your entire debt. Let me explain it like this. Let's say you go out, you get a couple credit cards, and you start maxing them out. You get a couple more. I need more money. You max them out. You get a couple more. I need more money. You max them out. Before too long, you're $100,000 in debt, and you probably make maybe $20,000 a year. How are you going to pay all that back? There's no way possible unless you get a judge to say, hey, you're crazy, you're bankrupt, you know. You're, there's no way if you had to pay it back, you can pay it back. Unless you get a better job or something happens. But if you never do anything different in your life, you'll never pay it back. And as a matter of fact, what you'll find is you'll go deeper and deeper in debt. It'll just keep coming, and you'll go deeper and deeper. What Jesus Christ said was, you have all this debt in your life. I'm going to pay that debt off. I'm going to take whatever you owe and pay for it with my life. That is the debt he took away. He purchased your debt on the cross. He took that debt away and it's no longer yours. You are no longer in debt because of Jesus' work on the cross. The trespasses and sins are no longer there. And it's all because the law is incomplete without Jesus Christ. He took it away from you. Aren't you glad? Yeah. I mean, I look at my life before I met Jesus Christ, and I was a pretty bad kid, and I'm thinking, man, Jesus took all that away. And even now when I sin, Jesus still pays every debt I have. That doesn't give me the right to go out and spend like I want to spend. What it does do is I have been purchased by Jesus Christ. The one that loves me, the one that loves you, you have been purchased. He has purchased you on that cross by paying your sin debt. What else does it say in verse 14? He says he erased the certificate of debt. That's his purchase. With its obligations. <laughs> there was always a catch to that debt. It had obligations. 
Jesus Christ paid those obligations. And has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. That, that is a beautiful picture. If you ever come across some, one of your friends and you talk to them about what Jesus did for, can do for them, take them to that verse right there. Take them to Colossians 2.14. He took your sin debt, if you believe in him, and he nailed it on a cross and purchased it. That, should be, that, that verse right there should be in everybody's mind. That verse right there should be in everybody's Bible, written down, so that you can show it excitingly to somebody else. Because he'll do it for them too. He did it for us. He did it for me. He did it for many of you. It's a debt that we'll never pay. And he did it. And then verse 15, it says this. It says, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. And he triumphed over them. Not only did he deplete the debt, the, or, you know, depleted the requirements, the requirements depleted, and that uh, the ceremony is completed, but he also, in him, the enemy has been defeated. The enemy has been defeated. In Christ, the enemy is defeated. And here's why. Because in verse 15, he talks about disarm the rulers and authorities. Those rulers and authorities are titles. They're titles for angelic beings. Fallen or not, they're still titles. And, and if you were to look at the Colossian church, the people in that area, they worshipped angels. They did do angel worship. And so what he is doing is correcting that notion of angel worship and saying, why worship an angel? You have something far superior in Jesus Christ. Because he is the ruler of all, all, over all these things. He is the ruler of these angels. He is the ruler of these authorities. And when it says that he disgraced them publicly, that is a picture. And they would get this. Over in Rome, Whenever the Romans would conquer a territory or an area, they would go in and they would go into that city and they'd have a giant parade in that city of the area they conquered. And they would take out all the things that they had confiscated, collected, took, stolen from the people of that area. And they would put them on display in that parade. It was what they would call a triumphal march. It was a triumphant march. And, and Paul, knowing that these people would understand that language, wrote what he did here. Jesus Christ, taking it all on display, triumphantly marching above them all. Because it's in him, it's in Christ that everything is completed, everything is, is um, depleted, and all the enemies are defeated. If you look back at verse 13, being dead in your trespasses. You know, some of you, perhaps some of you are still there. Perhaps some of you are still dead in your trespasses. And just like Nicodemus came to Jesus, asking him, how is one born again? Maybe that's your question this morning. Maybe that's the question you have. How are you born again? through Jesus Christ. If that is your question, I want to help you answer that this morning. 
Come forward. Come up here and talk to me. Talk to one of our people in the prayer room. We want to help you answer that. I think of Max Lucado. He wrote, a, he wrote a book, and in the book he wrote this, and I love what he wrote. He said, throughout time, though God's people often forgot their God, God didn't forget them. He kept his word. God didn't give up. He never gives up. When Joseph was dropped into a pit by his own brothers, God didn't give up. When Moses said, here I am, sent Aaron, God didn't give up. When he delivered the Israelites and they wanted Egyptian slavery instead of milk and honey, God didn't give up. When Aaron was making a false god at the very moment Moses was with the true God, God didn't give up. When only two of the ten spies threw the creator, uh, thought the creator was powerful enough to deliver the created, God didn't give up. When Samson whispered to Delilah, when Saul roared after David, and when David schemed against Uriah, God didn't give up. When God's word lay forgotten and man's idol stood glistening, God didn't give up. When the children of Israel were taken into captivity, God didn't give up. He could have given up, he could have turned his back, and he could have walked away from the wretched mess, but he didn't. He didn't give up. When he became flesh and was the victim of an assassination attempt before he was two years old, he didn't give up. When the people from his own hometown tried to push him over a cliff, he didn't give up. When his brothers ridiculed him, he didn't give up. When he was accused of blaspheming God by people who didn't fear God, he didn't give up. When Peter worshipped him at the supper and cursed him at the fire, he didn't give up. When people spat in his face, he didn't spit back. When the bystanders slapped him, he didn't slap him. When a whip ripped his sides, he didn't turn and command the waiting angels to stuff that whip down the soldier's throat. And when human hands fastened the divine hands to a cross with spikes, it wasn't the soldiers who held the hands of Jesus steady. It was God who held them steady. For those wounded hands were the same invisible hands that had carried the fire pot and the torch 2,000 years earlier. They were the same hands that had brought light into Abraham's thick and dreadful darkness. They had to come and do it again. So the next time you doubt, the next time doubt walks in, escort him out, out to the hill, out to Calvary, out to the cross where with holy blood, the hand that carried the flame wrote the promise. God would give up his only son, son before he'd give up on you. That is what he did. You are complete because of what he did. And I couldn't have said it better than that, that's for sure. Thank you, Max, for letting me use that. <laughs> Jesus Christ made you complete. 
And the gift is there for you if you've never accepted it. And all he's asking you is to trust him and accept it. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. For his death and burial on the cross and and in the grave. Thank you for that debt that was nailed to the cross. Taking away our sin debt that we owed you. Father, we can never pay you back. But we ask, Father, that you will continue to complete us. And the ones that are in here that don't know who you are, that they will come to know you and understand that their sin debt was paid for Jesus Christ, was paid by him. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
guys can be seated for a second. And Chad, if you will, come on ahead up. Good morning. <clears throat> you can literally put the five-minute clock on because I'm going to be less than five minutes. Uh, so we had a board meeting recently, and we're a little bit behind schedule. We would have done this last week, but we ran into a little bit of a snafu. So we're going to cover some things that we covered uh, in our board meeting. And um, one of the things that we talked about was we've got a contractor, um, Rick Reeds, and he is going to help us um, uh, actually expand the women's restroom out here in the library. And uh, we also think that he will be able to provide us assistance with possibly um, he's going to look into with us, uh, kind of give us some ideas and then possibly help us install the uh, chairlift that we're looking into as well for uh, people that need that uh, handicap accessible. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to take care of that. Uh, the next thing we covered was we talked about, um, of course, continuing on with the church building project. We're uh, looking for and we found people that are willing to loan the church money. So we've got that, I think, pretty well taken care of. I've prepared some promissory notes that they're going to sign, and uh, we've got one loan that's going to be interest-free, and the other ones uh, we're going to pay some interest back to. Um, but, and I think you can, I think I figured this out a couple weeks ago. Those loans, uh, I believe, are going to entail about uh, $1,850 a month repayment. So just so you know that. Um, we'd like to pay it off. That's like a, uh, I think that was like a five-year repayment. We'd like to pay it off much quicker than that. But just to do it in five years, we've got to contribute at least eighteen fifty a month to do that. So keep that in mind. And on your offering envelope, if you wanted to check or put, fill in next to other and write loan repayment, that would be a great way to, to let us know that that's what you want to do. So when you, when you put your offering envelope in the plate, then just write that in next to other, and they'll know what to do with it. Um, and then the next thing that we talked about was we've, got, we've had for a number of years facility use request where someone might uh, fill out an application to be able to use the church for a, a different function. Um, and we have those come up periodically. And what's going to happen now, and we basically did this uh, because we felt it was necessary for the safety and protection of not only the church building physically, but for those who are in it, um, that whoever, whoever is approved for a facility use request, if they're not a member of the church, they would have to have a member sponsor them. And that sponsor would actually have to be here at the uh, function and stay the entire time of the function to make sure that uh, everything ran accordingly and that it was clean and in good standing when the function ended. Uh, we felt that was appropriate. Um, we haven't really had any major issues to this point, but we just felt like that was probably a prudent thing to do. Uh, so uh, that's another thing that we covered. Then uh, there's also an opportunity for you to volunteer. We've talked about this a number of times, but we need volunteers in the youth group. We need volunteers in child care. We need volunteers uh, on the safety team. We need volunteers on the visitation team. We also need volunteers upstairs in the balcony in the sound booth and, and for technology. Uh, 
we, we really would appreciate it if someone would come forward and be willing to be trained in that area. Um, and so keep all those in mind. And if you have any uh, questions on that or if you'd like to volunteer, uh, see Pastor Damon or see one of us board members. And then the last thing that we talked about was, we've talked about this for a while, was a children's ministry director. And recently, uh, Becky Phelps was interviewed, and she was hired for the position. So thank you, Becky, for being willing to do that. And as it says here, we know she's going to do an amazing job. She's already doing a lot of what was entailed in this position anyway, and we're just so happy to have her on board. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, so I'm just going to close you with a quick prayer, and then you will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this uh, morning, this morning. We thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you that we are complete in Jesus Christ. And thank you that with his death on the cross and our belief in his death and burial and resurrection, that when we accept him as Savior, that that's all we have to do. Uh, we just praise you for that. We thank you for the fact that you save us, Jesus, from all our sins, past, present, and future and that you do it once and for all, and that you also uh, forget our sins and remove them as far as the east is from the west. We love you, and we pray that you'd help us to go and walk in that uh, assuredness and that uh, wonderful um, belief and trust this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.